0: This week, I'm going to continue my ongoing study on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to speak today in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, and in this section, Jesus is going to now talk about the need in our prayer life. How are we to seek God? How are we to seek God? Uh, And the, the thing that Jesus will impress upon us is the need for persistence, persistence, Uh, The Lord wants us not to just ask once, but to continually ask, to continually seek, to continually knock. And he'll make it very clear in this section of Scripture. And so I hope it touches your heart, because this is a problem for many Christians. Many Christians do not have all the things that God wants them to have in terms of the gifts that God has for us, in terms of all the things that the Sermon on the Mount speaks about. We don't have it because we don't ask. It's that simple. God is ready to give it to you, but you must ask first. So if you have your Bibles, you can look on the board at Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? What a wonderful set of verses. How much more will God give you what you ask for? When you, when you know how evil human beings give to their own children. So God is not harsh. God is not revengeful. God is not stingy. He sits there waiting to give you everything that you need, but you need to ask. Uh, he is loving and gracious and merciful, and I hope we give this message uh, to the world who needs to hear it. He is anxious and wanting to give the very best gifts that he has to his children we must ask. We must seek. We must knock. And that's the essence of this lesson. Now, this this, uh, sermon may be summarized, really, by a few proscriptions. First, it only applies to God's children. And I have said this to you throughout this study, throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. It applies only to the children of God. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ If you have not abided with God, you can ask, you can seek, and you can knock, and there will be no answer. It's that simple. God only answers the prayers of those who have aligned themselves with Jesus Christ, who have attached themselves to the body of Christ. Uh, And so this verse means that just like this particular section, as well as all of the mandates in the Sermon on the Mount, do not include the world. Our responsibility is to pray for the world to bring this message to the world, to encourage them to become part of the kingdom of God. But until they do that, they do not receive these blessings. This is only for those who have fully embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, And so this becomes important. Now, these promises are only for those in whose hearts God has performed the miracle of the new birth. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, There's two verses there that apply to this issue, and that's verses 12 and 19. Quote, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near By the blood of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Members of his household. You see, that's what God has done for you through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has now made you a brother of Christ and a member of the household of God. What a great promise this is. What a great uh, understanding of what God has done for each and all of us. Uh, And so, as we drill down on this, and we understand that first, that we must be children of God, we must have accepted Jesus Christ, the second prescription here uh, is also important, and that these promises are only for those who are obedient children. Only for those who are living lives in accordance with the will of God. And I'm sorry to say that there are many people who consider themselves Christian but are not living lives in obedience to God. Their lives are reckless. And again, this is another example of how the asking, seeking, and knocking applies to those who are walking in submission to God. And so if you wonder really why perhaps your prayers are not being answered, I would ask you to reflect on how you were living. Are you walking with God? Are you trying to live the kind of God life God wants you to live? Or are you doing your own thing? Because if you're doing your own thing, then you're going to find that your prayer life is not going to be answered. It's pretty clear. Uh, this is clearly, this, this this position is clearly implied in the context of the Sermon on the Mount and is seen more clearly in other passages in the Bible. And if you look at John, first John, the epistle, first John chapter three. Verse 22, uh, and there the apostle says, And receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Do you wonder why John had his prayers answered? It was because he was walking with God. He kept his commands. He walked in a way that was pleasing to God. And when you do that, when you walk like that, you're going to see that your prayer life is answered. And so clearly, uh, our prayer life revolves around the obedience to God and how we walk with him. Why can John say with assurity that his prayers were answered? Because he knew, he saw the evidence of it, that his prayers were answered. And he knew they were being answered because he walked with God. He was obedient to God. Uh, And he knew that he was a member of God's family. And as a member of God's family, he was keeping his commandments. What a wonderful way this speaks to me about how we are to live. Now, Jesus taught this lesson at length uh, in other areas of Scripture. Uh, In Luke chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, he spoke at length about asking, seeking, and knocking, and being an obedient child of God. There he said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter... Uh, and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you, or where you come from, away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last, who will be first, And first, who will be last? What a powerful passage this is, as you see the essence of people who will try to get into heaven on their own recognizance. Who will try to do their own thing. Who will say to God, we knew you. We saw you. You were with us. You taught with us. Think about this. And Jesus saying, I never knew you. I never knew you. You can ask, you can seek, and you can knock, but those prayers will be for no avail. And that's what God is warning us about, you see. The whole essence is how we approach the kingdom of God is one first of submission to Christ and second, obedience to God. And what I love about this passage is the first will be last and the last will be first. And wasn't that really the essence of what Jesus was walking around in, in Israel, during his ministry, saying he looked at the Pharisees, he looked at the scribes, those who were considered the religious elite. If you took any vote by the people of Israel, they would be voted as the first likely to be in the kingdom of God. But Jesus tells you, the first, the first will in fact be Last. They will not get into the kingdom of God because they rejected Jesus Christ. And then the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those who are on the very bottom of the rung would be first because they accepted Christ and walked with Christ. Uh, And so what we understand here, having some knowledge about salvation, as these people apparently did, Jesus, we knew you. You ate with us. You drank with us. In other words, I have some knowledge about salvation. I knew who you were, Christ. We didn't accept you really, every way, but we knew you. We we thought highly of you. You won't know how the world is. He's a great prophet. He's a great teacher, but he's not God. I don't bow to God. I don't attach myself to God. And so there's the true understanding of salvation, and so certainly, certainly, and this is a key, and I want you to be able to articulate this to your friends and family. Certainly, there is knocking and asking and seeking, but unless it is properly qualified by salvation and by obedience, it is of no avail. The second obvious teaching of these verses is this. Even if we are Christians, we must ask for the promises of God. Let me repeat that even if we are Christians, we must still ask for the promises of God. James chapter 4 verse 2 contains the negative statement on this principle. Quote, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And what an impressive point that is. You do not have because you do not ask God. God delights to give good things to his children. Therefore, if we have not received them, then the problem is not with God. It is with us. Have we asked? Have we sought? Have we not? Uh, and that's the, that's the other impression I want to leave with you today on this message. This position underscores the weakness today of much of modern christianity why is it i would ask you why is it that i cannot seem to find victory in my life why is it that the bible seems so difficult to understand to me why do i still seem to be in bondage to sin why is it when i read the sermon of the mount and i see all the things that god promises me humility Meekness, righteousness, walking with him in every possible way. And I don't have it. Why don't I have it? Because I don't ask Jesus for it. I have not bowed before the cross and asked and sought uh, and knocked. Don't you think if you ask God, Lord, help me to be patient. Help me to be loving. Help me to be merciful, Father. Change me. Don't you think God would do that? He would. I can promise you that. And that is why much of the so-called Christian world does not walk in victory. The answer is that you do not have because you have not asked God for these blessings. Uh, This is why we are neglectful in our prayer life and why God is bringing this to our attention. It is significant to me as I've studied this uh, that these comments by Jesus about prayer occur towards the latter end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, after the long list of things that Jesus has spoken about that we have read, the need for mute meekness, purity of heart, integrity, love and trust in God, humility, and all the other things that Christ has spoken about in the Sermon on the Mount and have spent our lives without having spent our lives without having. Ought we not to be in prayer starting today? Asking God to properly equip us. Lord, give me everything that you want me to have. Help me, Lord, to be that kind of person in the kingdom that will attract others. God has not changed, but we need to ask him. We don't have because we have not asked. Now, this brings us to my next point, which is that Christ did not say that we were to ask once for these blessings. And this is another point that I have studied, that I understand. When you go back and you look at the original Greek words in the first translations of what Jesus said, effectively what he was saying was to keep on asking, keep on knocking, to keep on seeking. In other words, not a one-time thing, but a persistent, daily, ongoing activity. Uh, That was the nature of what he said, and Jesus really made the point of this by speaking in Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 1 to 8, of a widow who gained justice from a dishonest judge. This was an evil man. And this woman went to him daily, begging for justice, and he ignored her. Daily, and daily, and daily. Finally, in disgust, he gave her what he wa- what she wanted. The, the dishonest judge gave this woman the justice that she wanted. Uh, and, and so... Uh, Jesus added in that position there, verse 7, And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry day and night unto him and bear long with them? Shall not God listen? When you see the unjust judge doing it, don't you recognize your loving father would do that also? Oh, this resonates with me in a mighty way. Paul also wrote to the Thessalonian church, about this very same issue in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 7, where he said, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, let me say something about prayer. You don't have to put a prayer mat down. You don't have to look and find where Jerusalem is and point the mat towards Jerusalem. All you have to do is in your heart as you walk around praying. As I've said to my men's groups, really you should find yourself praying a hundred times a day. Always communicating with God. Asking God to fill you with the Spirit. Asking God to give you more patience and love. Constantly speaking to God. uh, Speaking to Him more than any other human being you would speak to. Because as you do this in persistence, you will develop a prayer life that will be powerful. And God will answer those prayers. Now, this sermon posits a critical doctrinal point on Christianity, and I want you to remember this. It follows inescapably that if we must ask, we cannot receive the virtues of the kingdom of God unless they are given by God. Let me repeat that. It follows inescapably that we cannot receive the virtues unless they are given by God. This does not take place automatically. No one chalks up merit points with God because you're you're doing good things. Oh, there's three points. There's five points. And as a result of the point structure, God says, that's great. I'm going to give you more meekness. I'm going to give you more humility. I'm going to fill you with love. No, no. Your life does not chalk up uh, merit points. It doesn't work like this. No one is capable, no one is capable uh, of approaching the quality of life characterized by the Sermon on the Mount on their own. That's why I laugh when the world says, oh, I love the Sermon on the Mount. I try to live by the Sermon on the Mount, and they're not saved. They're doomed to fail. They cannot live by the Sermon on the Mount unless you're filled with the Spirit of God. Amen, church? Let's understand that. And no one will ever enter the kingdom of God simply because he is determined to improve himself uh, and make himself more presentable before God. The only way you make yourself more presentable before God is by accepting Jesus Christ and attaching yourself to the body of Christ. That is how you are presentable to be before God. Let's understand something, and I hope you remember what I'm about to tell you. Christianity... Is not a Dale Carnegie course. You got that? Christianity is not a Norman Vincent Peale power of positive thinking. I don't care how powerful your thinking is. I don't care how many Dale Carnegie courses you've attended. None of that is going to prepare you to walk into the kingdom of God. And the first beatitude set the tone as to how Jesus spoke to us about this, uh, telling us, God's approval rests on the person who is poor in spirit. That's the essence. Lord, I'm lost. Lord, I need a savior. Lord, I can't do this alone. And as that person reaches up from the muck and mire of, of his lost position, God reaches across eternity. And grabs him and saves him forever. What a powerful position this is. God's approval rests on the person who is poor in spirit. Now such a person recognizes his personal bankruptcy. He recognizes where he is. And his inability to conform to kingdom values, that person does. And he's eager for the grace of God and for help. And that's why that person prays to God to be answered, to receive the blessings of the kingdom because he's poor in spirit. So I would ask you again, if you find yourself not receiving the blessings of God, are you poor in spirit? Are you bowing before his throne? Because This person is delighted to knock on the door of God. And God is delighted to bless him in every way. This man rejoices in asking, seeking, and knocking because he recognizes how lost he is. And so as we do this and we pray to the Lord, we know that God sees our need more than we do. And this is another important part of understanding this message. You may be praying for things that you see in your spiritual life, And please, don't go praying for a house by the ocean. Don't go praying for a bigger boat. Don't go praying for making more money. Do me a favor, because you're going to wonder why you don't seem to be getting answers to those. Because you see how God wants you to be praying. He wants you to be praying for the norms of the kingdom. He wants you to pray for patience, for love, for mercy, for righteousness, to impact the world. And he will answer those kinds of prayers. Uh, And this, frankly, is one of the greatest ministries of the Holy Spirit. And you know, it is taking me a lifetime to truly understand how great the Holy Spirit is, because I have to confess to you that early on as a Christian, I really didn't understand it. But if you look at Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, we have it on the board, Uh, it's a, a powerful explanation of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Reflect on what those words say. That the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, has taken up residence in your heart. And even as you bow in prayer and are unable to articulate, you know that there are times like this. We've all been there. Whether it's through grief or strife or persecution, you pray before God, you bow, and you're not even able to talk. I've been there. You're not even able to speak. And instead you groan. Oh, God. Oh, God. And the Holy Spirit residing in your heart interprets the groans of the Spirit and communicates those groans to God himself. Can you imagine that that's what's going on in your life? Uh, and, and the Spirit communicates to God because God knows how to read the Spirit. All this is going on, and we do not even understand it. This is what God has done when he has saved you. Uh, And so you see here that the Holy Spirit takes a very initiative in prayer, probing our hearts to see our greatest needs and interpreting those needs to God the Father. Lord, I would say, please, Lord, for me and my church, interpret our needs, Lord. You know our needs and interpret our needs and, and answer these needs, Father. Because as each of us will come closer to you, we will make this church an even more powerful witness to the kingdom of God. And so then, how shall we approach God? Uh, Jesus gives, uh, frankly, a brief but telling illustration to reinforce this very position. As to the sons of the kingdom, we are to approach God with trust and love in his goodness and persistence in our prayer life, as we pray for what we need each day. Uh, Jesus says the following here, uh, and he says, which of you, Jesus asks, if his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. This, This scenario is desperately silly. We would all laugh about this. It doesn't even seem to make sense. No human father would act in that way, and Jesus understood it. But then Jesus follows it up and says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more, how much more would the God of the universe, your heavenly Father, give you what you need? And, and really, I want to give you another verse that I think uh, symbolizes this. This is in Isaiah 49, verse 15, where God has spoken, and he says there, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? and have no compassion on the child she has born. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. The Christian must remind himself always of the sheer goodness of God and the resources available to him from his heavenly Father. I will not forget you. That's the, that's the answer of God. I will not forget you. Yes, ask. Yes, seek. Yes, knock. I will not forget you. That's why the church really does not have vitality. It's because so many of us have failed to knock, ask, and seek. This is a foundational aspect of the life of the Christian. Foundational, as described by Jesus. And it's a description of the truly life, true life of the Christian walking with Jesus. It is effectively the law of Christ. That's what you're getting here. The law of Christ as to how we are to leave. Prayer is how we communicate our needs and desires to God. Prayer is how God is determined we are to approach. Prayer is how God wants to see our hearts as we approach him and seek him. And so Jesus is not saying that the believers will always get what they ask for, because our motives are not always right, as I just said. We will be treating God sometimes as our hotel concierge. Please get me this. I need this. I want this. God doesn't do that. Do you understand? God doesn't do that. But when he sees you praying in the right way for kingdom values, those are the kind of prayers he will give you and answer you. Uh, And so here's the point. The more time we spend in prayer and communication with God, the more we will understand exactly what God wants to hear from us. And our prayers will be in accordance with the will of God. Prayer in and of itself does not produce sanctification. But a lifetime of prayer, communicating with God, on our knees, asking God, For the kingdom values to be poured into our life, yes, that produces sanctification. And so earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke and said, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. And so I would ask you all, are you in your lives today seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or is that like in second place? Is that like further on down the list? Because if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything that you will need will be given to you uh, because it means you're putting God's plan first in your life. That's the essence of submission. That's the essence of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so it becomes important. Now, think about this as I bring this message to a close. Asking, seeking, seeking. Knocking. Notice that there are three different senses being considered here. Three different physical senses. First, asking is verbal. It's a verbalization. Christians are to use their mouths uh, and petition God for their needs. And believers are to seek with their heart and mind. It is more than just asking. Seeking is really a heart issue. Uh, a heart issue, and a mind issue. Uh, It involves having your heart look to God and putting your heart in the right position. And knocking involves physical movement, physical movement, one in which the Christian takes action, takes physical action. Although asking and seeking are of great importance, the knocking implies some physical act. They would be incomplete without knocking. They come together. And so the Apostle John said Christians ought not to live in word alone, but with actions also. He said that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Not just word alone. You don't just say, I want to love, but your life. You walk in love. And it's, and it's clear in the very essence of your walk that you're walking with Jesus. Asking, seeking, knocking. It is good to pray and seek God, but if one does not act in ways that are pleasing to God, everything else will be for naught. God delights in the fervent prayer of his disciples, and he promises to give you everything, everything that you need. Amen, church? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your message today. Father, I ask you that you emblazon on our heart, asking, seeking, and knocking, understanding, Father, that you sit there ready to dispense the great gifts of the kingdom, the great blessings of the kingdom, and yet we need to ask for it. And so many of us, Lord, have spent a life as Christians without really asking for that. And so, Lord, I ask you today to touch the hearts of our people so that we leave this place resonating with your will and promising, Father, to ask you to pour your gifts into our hearts so that through you, Father, through these gifts, through your spirit, we may impact a world that is lost because we know that only those who walk with you will be able to knock, ask, and seek. We put all of this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Jesus.